One uh, prayer request that we did not mention uh, that we talked about in the first service is pray for Caitlin Briley, uh, who's expecting and may be induced tomorrow. So pray for her and the baby. Amen. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for the, the privilege we have now. And this would be simply my plea that nobody would leave here unsure they're saved, unsure they're a Christian. So help me, Lord. Uh, preach the truth in love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can go ahead and be seated. If you need a Bible, there's a red one in front of you, and I want you to take it this morning and open to the book of Nahum, okay? Go about middle ways of your Bible and then go to the right, and you're going to come upon this little three-chapter book that we have been in for, for a few weeks in the series, and I hope uh, we all would be able to say we've learned a few things along the way when it comes to the history of Assyria, especially Nineveh. Now, let me just kind of walk us to where we're at. Uh, almost 100 years prior to Nahum writing this book, Jonah the prophet was sent to Nineveh, but he didn't want to go. Most of you know the story. He went the opposite direction. Uh, if we learn anything about the life of Jonah, this is it. Don't go in the opposite direction when God tells you to do something. There's always a consequence. There's always a price you're going to have to pay. Uh, to all of our grads, statistics say that you're very likely you will quit coming to church once you get out of high school. Don't be part of that statistic. Make a decision that you're going to honor God with your life. And listen, your college experience, if you choose to go to college or whether you start working uh, in, in employment, you can serve the Lord wherever you're at. And we hope that you'll just make that decision right now as you think about the other things uh, as we go forward. So he goes the opposite decision. He gets on a boat, and God uses some people on the boat to identify that Jonah's the problem. Jonah confesses, I am, and they throw him overboard. A great fish picks him up. He spends three days, three nights. It's a picture, listen, of dying and being resurrected. It's a picture of Christ, and here's the good news. He hits the ground running to Nineveh to preach the gospel. Now, about 100 years later, Nahum, a prophet like Jonah, we call him a minor prophet because we just don't know as much about him. Oftentimes, we skip right over him, thinking that he's insignificant, and we've learned that God does big things in small places. And he speaks this time through Nahum. Why? Because when Jonah preached the gospel commanded by God, there was revival in Nineveh. I mean, revival swept the land. Even the authorities said, we're going to worship the God of Jonah. And here we are, a hundred years later, and revival is just something they talk about in the past. Nineveh has slid right back into the same lifestyle that they were involved in. In many ways, to me, that sounds sometimes like revival in church. We get fired up for five services, bring somebody in, give a big love offering, and they go on their way, and after a few weeks, we slide right back into business as usual. That is not real revival. Real revival is when you recognize your need, that's confession, and then repentance is turning from yourself and turning to God and continuing to go 
that direction. So we begin in Nahum chapter 3. If you're with me, say amen. I realize what time it is, and, uh, and I'll be diligent. Nahum chapter 3. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. Nahum is writing about Nineveh. He's writing about this wicked city that has walked away from revival. Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling wheels of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Remember, Assyria had this army of chariots that was unlike any other. Horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There's a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. This morning, when you look at this passage, the first three verses remind us that Assyria was very clever. Assyria was clever in getting other nations involved. John Phillips, in his commentary, wrote this many years ago, said these very words. He said, when you look at Assyria and this picture of Nineveh and how they were able to pull others with them, and oftentimes before it was too late, before they realized what was happening, it sure does sound like a modern-day picture of Russia pulling other countries into communism. And what they would do is they would lie to them, and then they would break their promise and then destroy them. That's how Assyria would eat people up, how they would eat countries up. And listen to me, that's exactly what the devil does. He lies to us. He causes innocent people to be slaughtered. And the Bible says here, they were stacking the corpses like lumber. It was almost as if they were stacking them up. What do you tell me, Brother Greg? Write this down in your outline, number one. Nineveh's sins are exposed. The sins of Nineveh are exposed. That's what we see here in Nahum chapter 3. Now, before we are too hard on Nineveh, how about ourselves? Do you know there's not anything you've ever said, done, or thought that God doesn't know? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, a good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. But I say to you, listen to me, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account on the day of judgment. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 14. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Mark your Bible here in Nahum chapter 3 and go forward to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I believe this chapter is one of the most sobering chapters and passages in the New Testament. It's a warning. 
It's a warning for us to quit trying to look good on the outside and make sure our heart is right. Verse 13. If you're there, Matthew 7, 13, say amen. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. You know, just a few days ago, I believe the rock group Who, the Who was back in Cincinnati for the first time in 43 years, I believe it was. And I can remember being in high school. Some of you will remember this. They opened up the wrong doors or not enough doors, and some kids were smashed to death. A few of my teammates went to that concert that night. When they got there, they were late, and they didn't know anything happened until they came home and heard the news. You know why? Everybody was trying to get through a narrow way. Today, we live in a world where everybody thinks everybody's going to heaven. After all, we're all trying to get to the same place. Folks, let me tell you something. You can try all you want to, and you can't get to heaven on your own. Jesus died to provide the entrance to the gate. That's good news, amen? Sure does take a lot of pressure off of you and me this morning to know that the only way I can get to heaven is because of Jesus Christ. And thank the Lord he died on the cross. He's already paid for your sin. And he offers that as a free gift. You simply need to receive it by faith. That's the good news. Verse 14 says, Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And then he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Beware those who, who look good on the outside, but their heart is far from me. And then he goes to say that your fruit will identify who you belong to. Do you believe that? Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Verse 20. And then verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Lord, haven't we not preached? Haven't we not taught classes? Haven't we not been leaders in the church? And Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, depart, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Go back to Nahum, if you will. Nineveh's sins are exposed. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. The same Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. Now, I believe the Word of God makes it clear. You play with sin long enough, it will be exposed. You want to live deliberately in disobedience, I'll expose you. And you might be here today and, and you think you've got everything covered. You think you've got everybody fooled. Nobody knows what's going on in your life. Friends, I'm here to tell you, your sin will be exposed. And that leads us to number two. If you're flirting with sin this morning, quit it. Quit. Stop it. Why? Because you are on a slippery slope. You're on a slippery slope. You'll say, Brother Greg, but that's why we come to church, so I can feel better about myself on Sunday morning. Brothers and sisters, if my messages only cause you to feel better about yourself, we're missing the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. James 4, verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 6, 11, 
Put on the whole armor of God. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom you may devour. This past week, Kyle was a uh, chaperone for the zoo trip, first grade. So I asked him, when, and I guess you, once you get there on the bus and get them back in the bus, you don't get a whole lot of time at the zoo. It's fast. Am I right, Stephanie? And I said, what did you go see? And I'm thinking the boys would say, monkeys, apes. I said, no, we want to see the lions. We want to see the lions. I'm going to tell you, if the picture of the devil is a lion, he will tear you up and not think twice about it. And not think twice about it. So in this passage... The first three verses remind us that Nineveh's in trouble, that Nineveh's resume is littered with lives and damage and hurt and death, and that their sins are going to be exposed. And, and by the way, when you talk about flirting, listen to me, when you flirt with anything, you know what you're doing. Quit blaming it on somebody else. You know what you're doing. Some of you are looking at the internet and you're just right there. You're right there. But you, but you somehow have managed to make yourself feel that it's okay. I'm telling you, the devil's got you right where he wants you. He's got us right where he wants us. Folks, listen to me. The Bible says they were stumbling over the corpses. And I'm telling you, the highways are littered with damaged testimonies of people who did not take flirting with the enemy seriously. Look at verses 4 through 7, chapter 3. Because of the multitude of harlotries, of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries, the Lord says, I'm against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift up your skirts over your face. I'll show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms of your shame. Brothers and sisters, not only does God use the picture of a prostitute in this passage, he reminds us, number three, that idolatry is associated with it. Idolatry is associated with it. You see, the chief god of Nineveh was Ishtar, the goddess of sexual passion, fertility, and war. And just like a harlot, Nineveh entices others through power and promises and prosperity to join them. They step into a trap. Now, I want to ask you this morning, what are some things in your life? If idolatry is associated with prostitution in Scripture, what are some areas in your life that have set them up as being idols. You know, we just finished a 21 day of prayer together as couples or individuals. Some of you going through it individually. Boy, it's been challenging to me. I hope it has been to you. But you know, even we learned in our marriage that we can set our kids up to be idols in our life and it's going to affect our marriage. You know, a bunch of first graders were asked the question. What's the best gift your dad could give your mom for Mother's Day? Their answer was, loving my mom. I believe there's security in that when they see a father loving, uh, loving a mother. But what are some things in our lives? Well, let's just name a few. How about money? 
How about power? How about our job? How about our position? How about our ball team? We're living in a day where we're chasing everything. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if your relationship as a couple or as an individual is not grounded by your commitment to Jesus Christ, it will affect everything. Um, if getting up in the morning, if, if this is all there is to life, to wake up for a new day and somehow survive and then retire at night and wake up and do it all again tomorrow morning, if that is all there is for the purpose of life, I believe that is a prescription for depression. You see, God created you and he created you for his glory. When you wake up in the morning, his desire is for you to serve him. His desire is for you to live for him. His desire is for you to tell your story, to share your story. And, and folks, listen to me. You don't have to stumble around uh, like Nineveh is doing now, re re realizing, oh, you know, talk about the good old days. We, remember the good old days when we had revival? And, and, and now here Nahum's probably saying, uh, don't even use the good old days because we're so far away from it. They're stumbling over the corpses. They've set themselves up. They've prostituted themselves out. So what does God do? He says, I'll not only expose your sin, number four, Nineveh would be embarrassed. He said, I'll pull your skirt up over your head and show the world your nakedness. Embarrassed. You know, the Bible talks about sometimes as Christians, we can embarrass ourselves. Amen. Oh, that's never happened. Anybody in here has never done that. We can, can't we? You know, there's a passage of Scripture that talks about Jesus warning that when you come to a feast, don't take the best seat at the table because the host may come in and tell you that you need to move because you have someone else's seat. He said, when you come, take the back seat as a servant. And if the host needs to, he'll come get you and move you forward. Folks, I'm telling you, before we're too hard on Nineveh, we need to take a good look at our own lives. We need to take a good look at our own lives because when you think about what God wants to do, it comes down to recognizing that I should be embarrassed about my sin. And anymore, we just kind of move on as if it's nothing. Listen, we're studying holiness on Wednesday night. When you recognize the holiness of God and that sin breaks the heart of a holy God, it should change our perspective on what we do and how we live. But we've lost sight of who he is. We've lost sight of who he is. Verse 7, it shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Nineveh is empty. Nineveh is no longer. Number five, it would become empty. What was is no longer. When they talk about revival, when they talk about the, the power of the city, and then Nahum goes on to write, are you better, verse eight, than no Amon? Your, your translation may just have the word no. This is a place called Thebes, Thebes, T-H-E-B-E-S. It's a, uh, it was a powerful city. Uh, the Greeks referred to it as a place where treasures were poured in. It was a place where royalty wanted to be buried. 
Yet it was a place that fell to Assyria. It was a place that once was. And here's what Nahum is doing. He's comparing the two. Here is a place that you destroyed, and you're no better than them. You're finished. You know, when you give your life to Jesus, what was is no longer. I had the privilege to do a funeral this past Tuesday of a longtime friend, passed away in Fort Myers, Florida. They brought her back to Dayton for the burial. At the graveside, it was Tuesday. I was reminded that it was May 5th, 5.17, this past Tuesday. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man's in Christ, if any woman's in Christ, she's a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away. All things become new. And what, what's Nahum doing? He is giving them the story of how great the fall will be. Look at verse 8. Are you better than them? They had it all. They were situated by the river. They had the waters around her. The rampart was the sea. Whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength. And it was boundless. Put and Lubim. Most would say this is Libya. They were helpers. See, this was a picture of Assyria, of Nineveh, pulling people in. Of pulling people in. Let's look down a little further. Look at verse 11. You will also seek refuge from the enemy. Okay, that tells you something about defeat. Your strongholds, verse 12, are fig trees and ripen trees. And if they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in the midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Verse 15, there the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. Look down a little further. 17, your commanders are like swarming locusts and your generals like great grasshoppers which camp on the hedges on a cold day. And when the sun rises, they flee away. And the place where they are, are not, it's not known. You know what Nahum is telling them? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Fire will devour you. By the sword, you will be cut off. And it's coming back to you. Number six, Nineveh would not stand against the wrath of God. Brothers and sisters, none of us can stand None of us can stand against the wrath of God. And here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt for your sins, so we would not have to. The Perry sing a song that says, I rest my case at the cross. I rest my case at the cross. And you see, the wrath for sin has been paid for. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the death, burial, and resurrection resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about, and the Bible says when we come to him in childlike faith, simply trusting God and taking him at his word that we're a sinner, and he died to provide salvation from our sin, that we can be saved. You see, the answer for our sin is Jesus. It's Jesus. And if judgment is coming, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, you will stand before a holy God as your judge. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, listen, the Bible does not promise anybody that you can be saved after you die. You say, well, Brother Greg, we were faithful to church. You know that. 
depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. Folks, listen to me. We are not trying to build a church of a bunch of Baptist attenders. I want to make sure that we're going to heaven together. Don't you? I've never met anybody that I've asked the question, do you want to go to heaven when you die? I've not met anyone that says, no, I don't want to go to heaven. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you're unsure about your own faith in Jesus Christ, this prayer is for you. In the quietness of your heart right now, if God is just knocking on your heart's door, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, man, he is talking right to me. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Because I can assure you, you're not alone. But if you've never been saved, right now in the quietness of your heart, dear God, thank you for speaking to my heart today. Just pray it quietly in your heart. I need to be saved. I don't know if I'm forgiven. But Lord, I do believe. I believe you died for me. Would you come into my heart this morning and save me? I don't know all the answers, but I know I need you. So Lord, by faith, I accept you right now, right here, to save my soul. If you prayed that prayer, God bless you. Man, I wish I could see a bubble go up above your head or something. But that's God's job, not mine. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God bless your heart. We're going to stand and sing, and I want to invite you to come if you prayed that prayer. I won't, I won't embarrass you. I won't call your name. I simply want to celebrate your new decision with you. Some are going to be coming for other reasons. But Lord, would you have your way now in this hymn of invitation? Help us. Move. Help us be obedient. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you need to come this morning, you come now. Let's lift our voices just as I am, praising the Lord for his goodness. Just
the I can uh, I can guilty to be pardoned. I come guilty to be warned. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be found. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm seated just for a moment. You three, why don't you go ahead and stand here and turn around, if you will. I'm going to ask uh, Cody and Sarah to come. It's a, it's a blessing to be able to uh, lead some folks through First Connection. What, what is that? First Connection is a required membership class that we have here. What do you mean, Brother Greg? Uh, you may get saved and, and decide to be baptized here. We praise the Lord, you're a Christian and know Christ, but we would want to bring you through something called First Connection, and it's just a discipleship opportunity. It's four weeks. Uh, normally, it takes place during the Sunday school hour. Uh, we do it differently a little bit from time to time. A few weeks ago, that's exactly what we did with Cody and Sarah. They've been finished for a few weeks, so let's give them a good welcome officially to the church. God bless you. Uh, just for, by, for the sake of mention, two weeks from today is June 5. In the evening at 4.30, a mission council, or not mission council, an ordination council will meet with Cody, and we will present him, Lord willing, if we're not surprised, uh, at 6 o'clock, not 6.33, 6 o'clock on the 5th. We will have an ordination service here. All of you are invited for that, Okay. Following that service, we're going to have a fellowship together as a church on that evening. So keep that in mind, but that will, if the Lord tarries, June 5th, okay? So we're glad to have them. Uh, these three here just finished this morning. This is, uh, this is Barbara Brown, goes by Sue, Sue Brown. And this is Kevin and Sue Shore, who've been coming for a number of weeks, been checking us out. They've been looking at you, been watching you. And uh, you know what? I, that's an important thing to pray about a decision. Amen? Uh, they served at Tri-County Baptist Church. Uh, we'll, we'll write, uh, we'll send them a, a letter of their desire to join us. But these three join us by statement and have given evidence of a faithful gospel testimony. And I believe God's got great things in store for us as they use their gifts for the glory of God. So give Kevin, Sue, and Sue, a good welcome. Will you do that? There you go. And, and you all might notice that in these folders is a very nice certificate, and I really like to see these hanging in your living room. Okay? All right, Marsha, got anything? Okay. Tonight, what time are we starting? Okay, Marsha will be here. What time are we starting? Okay. And I think there might be some kind of uh, quartet at 5.30 practice, so there's going to be something a little different tonight. Pray for Kyle. He's looking forward to it. Uh, I, I said, Kyle, please don't preach a message that has to do with food. He probably will. Amen? Let's stand. 
And uh, after we dismiss, if you'd like to come by and give these a good hand of welcome, feel free to do that. Let me instruct us, because the way we have a multiple aisles, it can really get traffic jam. Maybe go to your right and come in this way, okay? And you'll come by Cody and Sarah first, and uh, just give these a good welcome if, if you can, all right? Are all hearts clear? Did it rain yesterday? We're going to close with this. This will be our benediction. Okay. Showers of blessing. Mercy. Mercy drops round us all finally. But for the... Do it again. Yeah, yeah. Showers of blessing. Mercy drops round us all like to give on your way out. The offering boxes are there. Thank you for your faithfulness. God bless you. Have a great day. Hope we'll see you tonight. Marsha, are we doing this? Are we doing this?